Welcome to Tim Stodds FM, where each week we discuss new ideas and tactics to help you succeed in business, relationships, and life. And now your host, Tim Stoddart. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Tim Stoddart. Welcome to the Tim Stodds podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Before we get started on this week's interview, I want to give a quick word of appreciation and a word of thanks for everyone that has followed along this journey of mine in creating my podcast and creating my newsletter. Uh, The month of August is already shaping up to be the month in which I receive the most podcast downloads and the most newsletter signups ever. Uh, We're only halfway through the month and I'm already beating all of my previous records and uh, that's that makes me feel really good. It makes me feel really humbled. Uh, it's just proof that if you want to start something, if you want to create something, you have to keep going and you have to keep at it and you have to not expect that instant gratification. This is going to be my 106th episode. Uh, and for me, that's that's what it took. It took a couple years of keeping after it. I really appreciate it. Appreciate everybody listening. I really appreciate all the kind words I get on Twitter and people uh, replying to my newsletter, just telling me how much they they appreciate my my words of wisdom and in, in the final thoughts that I give uh, at the end of every newsletter. So seriously, to everybody listening, thank you, thank you. It means so much. My guest today is Emil Ekvart. When Emil was sixteen, he discovered his first obsession online poker. For 10 years, Emil dedicated his entire life to winning big in online poker. He wanted to continuously get better and get better quickly. Emil was playing 12-hour games without breaks and this new environment was physically, mentally, and emotionally draining. Emil used this challenge as an opportunity and his excitement for poker spilled over into developing other skills in health, wellness, mental performance, and emotional intelligence. Emil was seeing massive success beyond anything he could ever imagine, but something was missing. He started asking himself different questions. Instead of, how can I get rich playing poker? He started asking asking himself questions like, what creates happiness? Or, how can I create deep, meaningful relationships? For four years, Emil didn't work. Instead, he traveled and he focused on his own personal development, relationships, and public speaking. And Emil now uses his work to help other people as a personal development coach. Eventually, Emil crossed paths with Eric Berkman. Eric and Emil joined up and created Great.com, which is a company that gives away 100% of its profits. Emil now works with Eric full-time, and he is a business developer and the podcast host at Great.com. The podcast is called Becoming Great podcast, please see it in the show notes of this episode at timstods.com. I'm very excited about great.com. I actually interviewed Eric a couple episodes ago. Uh, He sold a company and made $50 million before he was 30 years old. And uh, between Eric and Emil, they are now taking that experience and they are using great.com as a way to to spread charity uh, and to help with climate change. I am thrilled to have Emil on my show and I love how the two of them are using an entrepreneurial mind frame to expand charity work. Man, this conversation was so wide ranging. I expected it to be about online poker and about 
uh, memorization, which is something that uh, Emil is really into, but it really turned into just a conversation about personal development and about creating the best version of ourselves. We talked about spirituality and connection and and the power of money and uh, how how we should all start to see money as a charitable force as opposed to a selfish force. Really was a great conversation. I know you're going to get so much out of Emil's words. So please, without further ado, help me welcome Emil Eckvart. Got it, man. Well, Emil, thank you so much for joining me on my show. I'm very much looking forward to our conversation. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Tim. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, uh, we were talking a little bit before we hit record, and this is going to be a new experience for me because uh, this is the first time that I get to have a conversation with like the other side, um, with the business partner of somebody that I've already had on the show. You and Eric um, are, are business partners, and you have uh, a lot of your, your own ventures, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, and I'm excited to hear your perspective on those. But before we get into that, uh, you met Eric through online poker and you're a passionate poker player. And we were joking a little bit about, uh, about like my love for poker, although probably not as much as yours and, and about how poker players have a very cool interpretation and how the skills that you learn in poker apply to other avenues of life. So before I go on my own little rant, um, please just open up a bit with, with how you got involved in poker uh, what some of your success has been there and, and how it's been a part of your life. I would love to. And I completely agree with you that there are so many skills that are being learned through poker that are useful for so many areas in life. And uh, for me, it started when I was 16. I was sitting at a table with some friends, just playing for the first time for just cents. And I remember time passed. All of a sudden, it was one o'clock at night. And I had experienced a deep state of flow. I saw everything that was happening at the table. It felt like I was out maneuvering people. And I just got hooked to that experience of being that focused and that in the flow. And I instantly fell in love with this game, which was kind of lucky because I think often it's quite hard to find your passion. But I kind of just stumbled upon it. and. I wanted to play more and more. The problem was my friends only wanted to play one day per week, max. So I quite quickly started to look at uh, online poker where, um, where there's action 24-7. The only thing I wanted from my mom when I was 17 was $30 to play for on an online poker site. And um, everything I own today is from those $30. Uh, Before quitting school when I was 18, I knew that this is really what I want to do. School didn't seem that important anymore. So the day after I graduated, I got an office in Stockholm and invited other poker players to sit there and play and collaborate. And that's how I met Eric, the founder of Great. Uh, so yeah, he came to Stockholm. He visited us. He played with us. But then he kind of quit playing poker and did a slightly more lucrative uh, adventure in, when he created Katina Media and made $50 million before turning 30. Uh, I did well uh, as well and made about a million dollars before turning 25. But at that point, 
um, my focus changed and I kind of lost the passion for poker. And instead, I started to become really interested in personal development and health and uh, yeah, even topics like spirituality and uh, entrepreneurship. And at that point, we kind of met again. And uh, Eric helped me a lot in understanding business. And he invited me into Great, where I work today. And I helped Eric a lot with uh, emotional intelligence and personal development. Because when we met, he was kind of on the brink of burnout. So, yeah, we could help each other a lot. And um, Eric is now running a company that is donating 100% of the profits to the environment yeah. and uh, he would of course have done that either way but i do think my involvement maybe made him come to the idea that he should create this company maybe a couple of months maybe six months faster and that is really exciting for me i, I really feel passionate today about the opportunity to work with entrepreneurs and make them feel better so they are more generous and more willing to do projects that will benefit a lot of people there you go. That was a rant. So please jump in wherever. Oh, it, it wasn't a rant. And it's, it's funny you say that in the last interview I did, um, the, my, my guest, his name is Osai. He actually took a lot of time to go through the whole story because I've found that in the first question, a lot of times people get like, oh no, I'm talking too long. But it's like, no, like I want to hear your story. I want to hear your story. Keep going. Um, and so let me let me dive into that a little bit more. I don't know this for sure, but I get the feeling that you have views on school and education, simply from the comment that you made about um, knowing that like school wasn't for you. And they, I don't know if you said you graduated. I think you said the day after you graduated, you opened up an yeah. office in Stockholm and got into it. So this has taken a left turn a little bit, but... Um, and this is just off of a gut feeling that I had because I have my own opinions on this. But in, in today's world and today's viewpoint where like you can learn anything online and including like your own career, right? Your online poker career. What, what role did education play in your success in, in personal development? Like, have you continued your education onto college? Was high school just it and you knew what you wanted to do? Just talk to me a little bit about what that means to you. I'm intrigued by your gut feeling because learning is one of my passion subjects. Mm. I think a big reason why I did well in poker is because I got into it when poker just got onto the internet and it was basically competitive learning. The one who could learn to play optimal the fastest would make the most money. And I remember when I was a kid, I loved learning and I was always so curious trying to build stuff and always interacted I was okay-ish in school, but that was more because I wanted to be an achiever and wanted to be obedient and wanted to please my parents, I think, than being really that excited about learning. And maybe the biggest gift poker gave me was that it allowed me to learn something that was chosen by me, by my heart, by my passion. Because in school, when you're told what you're going to learn, I felt that my passion very much kind of went away for learning. And I think that's pretty common that after school, people just kind of get a negative association to learning and they stop. And um, yeah, that's sad. I'm curious how you feel about learning, what your 
because I guess you have a point of view here and you get me curious. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that you said. And I think it's important to differentiate learning from education. Uh, yeah. You know, like education to me feels very systematized. You know, I, even the modern education system, it's like a Prussian system, basically. It was designed for obedience. It was designed to create factory workers. I mean, I think it was, I, I don't know this for sure, but I, I, I remember reading somewhere that a lot of it was even based on Dale Carnegie because he needed people to work in a steel mill. So it's like, well, we're running out of workers. Let's get kids. And it's the whole reason that there's a bell. If you think about it, like you hear that in the time for class, it's a factory bell, you know? And mm. Like, I'm not an anti-school person by any means. You know, like, education is important for a lot of different reasons. You need kids to have structure. I just, I see, I, I see a whole lot of opportunity in the world to learn. And it's free. Like, you can learn anything for free. And it's almost like what we're missing is the, is the ambition and the willingness to do something on your own without, you know, we call them teachers, but really without like a manager counting your specs, you know, saying that like you need to do it in this particular way because this is the right answer as opposed to here's an interesting problem. Can you figure out how to solve it? And so I, I got that because that's what poker is, right? Poker's problem solving. There's never one right. way to win a hand. You know, like sometimes you can have the worst hand and you still take the pot. Sometimes you got the best hand and you get smoked out for whatever reason. So it's, it's like creative thinking, problem solving. And as an entrepreneur, um, I, I know that I'm a little bit biased about this. And I, I don't mean to spread these like anti-education viewpoints by any means. But I just, I wish there was more emphasis on the goal is to learn how to solve problems. The goal isn't to get like the right answer. And that's why I picked up on that from you. Right. And I'm curious, let's say you had the power to design at the school of your dreams, the school of the future, the school of your imagination. Right. How would that be structured? See, so, you know, this is my favorite part about these conversations because it's all like fun and games and it, it makes for good podcasts until you ask somebody to put like some real shit down on paper. Right. <laughs> and, and like build a system. But, uh, but, I, I think a, what I would ideally like to see is a curriculum that's built around problem solving. Um, I, I think that the idea of there's more than one way to so, like, so here's a really great example. I remember watching, um, uh, oh shit, what's that guy's name? The real famous astrophysicist, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I remember oh, I him putting a little thought experiment together where if you're interviewing for a job and you ask somebody to go outside and say, how tall is that building? Would you want the person who like memorized the, the city municipality uh, documents where they actually knew, they memorized how tall the building was? Or would you want somebody that could understand how to use like a Pythagorean theorem to measure the shadow, what time of the day it was and put that against the sun to figure out like, this is how tall that building is. And even if the person that was able to figure it out was off by like a foot or two or like, you know, whatever the margin of error is, 
in my view, that's still the more valuable person to society than the person that like followed that general educational, like pragmatic system that says like, this is the right answer and you have to memorize it. So I appreciate you challenging me on that because I guess I've never actually thought about like what an educational scheme would look like in that way. But I know that the end result would be to, to um, create minds that had the capacity to problem solve as opposed to like recite. Right. Uh, yeah, problem solving is probably one of the more important and rewarding skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the same time, I kind of feel like memorization has gotten a bad rep uh, recently. So if you take that example you escape, what about someone that had memorized the height of every building in the entire city? I guess that bank of knowledge would be kind of useful in determining how high this building is as well. I think having some bank of knowledge is actually, it makes us more able to use our creativity and it helps us think like our wisdom is our intuition using our knowledge. So memory, I love memorization and I think reciting is a super good way to learn memory. So I have a habit, it's my favorite habit and it's about memorization. And I have done this habit 95% of the days for seven years now. And it's called, uh, it's an app called Anki. And what you do in this app is that you create flashcards and you test yourself in the future. So let's say that I learned that Christopher Columbus sails to America in 1492 and I want to memorize that. Then I make a flashcard and on one side I write, when did Christopher Columbus sail to America? And then the answer on the back side. And this app get, tests me tomorrow, then in four days, then in 10 days, then in 30 days, if I knew the answer. And it just drives information into my long-term memory. And I use this app for everything. I use it for language learning. I use it for all my life experiences. I use it for when I read on my e-reader, I export important things and put it into Anki and I write tests for myself. And I think testing ourselves is so key for learning because before I started using Anki, I remember I had, I read so many books. I have a lot of them here in my bookshelf. You can barely see it, but I don't remember any specifics because yeah. I read them and then I forget them when I lose the knowledge. So I think memorization actually has an important role to play. I, I agree with that a lot. And yeah, when you brought up the books, um, I, I think about this all the time because I've, I've had a habit of reading ever since I was a kid, really. My parents, we didn't really have TV. Um, as we got older, we did. But when I was a, a younger kid, especially, we didn't have TV. And my parents like needed something to do with me because I was so restless. And so they just made me read. It was like one of the only mm. things, it was one of the only rules really that my parents ever gave to me. They just said like, you need to sit down and read for this amount of time. And so I'm very grateful for that because it put me into a, a lifelong love of reading. But I'm lucky. I just finished a book. It was called, um, see, even trying to remember the title. It's so funny. It was called the war that ended peace. It was basically about um, the political uh, like scheme, the political layout from basically 1890 with Queen Victoria until like 1917 with the start of World War I. 
And it's stuff that I'm so fascinated about because I've always been like a World War I buff and I never took the time to appreciate like what was the, the ramifications of the little events that you never hear about that actually led to the, um, to like the, the mental and emotional state of all of these different countries that led to this like huge catastrophe, right? And it took me a long time to read and I made a point of reading and reading with intent and maybe even taking some notes. And till this day, I just finished it last week and I can really remember maybe like three to 4% of it. And there's right. so much cool knowledge in there, but I, I just don't, I don't have, I guess, enough space. Or maybe what you're saying is I don't actually have, I don't practice it, right? Like I don't practice absorbing information and then keeping it so that I can um, recite for later use. And for me personally, like I would love to do that because I read a lot. And there's so many times I think like, ah, oh, shit, I think I read about this in that book, but I can't remember it. <laughs> exactly. And this was my not re- future, future testing myself and repeating was the biggest mistake I made in poker. Would I have had Anki back then? I would be having, I would be much better off today. And so the problem is what's happening. You are reading something about the first war and too much time passes until you need that information again. And then it's lost. And all the time you spend reading is kind of wasted, which is a shame. So in poker, I could study a very complex situation that would only occur once every 10,000 hands. But if I make the correct play here, I make a lot of money. But if I would have had Anki, I would have repeated it in between so 10,000 hands later when that situation occurs I actually have the knowledge in my memory and the best part about this habit is that I spend on average I think it's 11 minutes per day I can see in the app and that's basically well it is the time when I'm on the toilet so it's just time that otherwise I would have read a magazine or looked at Instagram so that's why that replacement in habit uh, it's it's so useful what is you're you're obviously very passionate about this and i appreciate it and respect it but a lot of this so far has been habits that you've brought into your own life so what is where where is your where is the jumping off point for you with sharing this with other people and like how are you trying to take what you've learned and you've used to benefit your own life and and spread this message to other people like what's what's the mission here for you well i love sharing knowledge and like i said previously i saw that i saw something so beautiful happen when i made eric give him some tools so he could emotionally feel better and then he could and that made him think about the idea of great quicker because i think he could recuperate from his burnout quicker mm. and Let's say great is in 20 years, a company that gives away $100 million per year to get there six months faster. It's mind-blowing for me because I know how much donations can make when you give them to the right organizations. And what I see that I taught Eric is a meta skill, which is a skill that is useful everywhere is what I mean by that. The skill of how do I understand my emotions? And those meta skills are not taught enough in school, I think. For example, we spend... 
I was in school for 12 years, but there was never a class on how to learn. There was never a class on how to listen. There was never a class on how emotions work. There was never a class on how do I do public speaking. The core skills that are useful regardless of what you do. And actually, a lot of the stuff we learn in school is kind of the opposite of those meta skills. Take a good listener, for example. To me, a good listener is someone that is active, someone that is really good at steering the conversation to things that the other person thinks is interesting and that they are passionate about. But the way we listen in school is more kind of being silent and be ready to give the right answer, not so much being curious. Yes. Okay. See, now we're talking about the difference between learning and education, right? Listening should be taught as an active um, uh, action, right? Like you, you can purposefully listen as opposed to the other end of it, like you talked about, where it's like, no, your job is to sit there and be silent and absorb what's given to you. Where in my view, a good listener is somebody that is interacting with something because they, they hear something and they think, oh, like I want more on that, right? And then can actually steer um, a, a conversation, a situation, whatever, whatever that particular like idiosyncratic situation may be, and can steer that to get what it is that they need out of it. And so, and so, yeah, just 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 go more about that because I'm I really really feel you on this subject. It's important to me. And so, h- how do you plan on teaching people these skills? All right, now me and Eric are we sat this morning and finished the third part of a three episode series on listening that we're going to release in our podcast, uh, becominggreat.com. So that is a way. Mm-hmm. So I'll I'll steer all of those and in the show notes, what would be, what would be one thing that somebody could do right now where if they think to themselves, I could be a better listener, like what is one simple habit that they could just apply into their daily lives? Wow. There's so many, um, a core concept that helped me and it's hard to give one advice because it depends on what level you are already. Mm-hmm. But I remember one advice I got, I don't remember from where, but when I was in my 20s, is that it's better to be interested than being interesting. And it's a quite simple concept, but it, at the bottom of it, I remember when I was in my 20s, I really wanted to be interested because I wanted to belong. I wanted to be able to be a part of group because I was quite insecure. And... I wanted to be interesting and tell cool stories and stuff like that because I wanted to get friends and I didn't understand that an even a much easier way to get friends and to be included is to be good at being interested. And that is really try to get to know other people, ask questions, find out what are they passionate about or what challenges are they going through. And when they start to open up, show that you care, show that you appreciate that they're letting you in and keep asking more questions, especially if they open up emotionally. Such a cool way to look at it. It reminds me of uh, um, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People is a book that had a really big impact on me. Um, that book and Think and Grow Rich is a book that like, I, I read at the beginning of every year to kind of like remind myself. Oh, nice. And uh, one of the viewpoints in that 
ah, shit, I can't remember exactly who the characters were, but I remember there was a story a woman was telling where she had two different conversations with people. And she said, when I spoke to this person, I walked away thinking he's got to be the smartest person in the world. And when I spoke to this person, I walked away thinking that I'm the smartest person in the world. And the difference Mm -hmm. was exactly what you just said. Like this person was very interesting, but this person was very interested in her. And the fact that he was interested in her left an emotional connection. And so it's that emotional connection which creates like that bond which lasts over time, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's a beautiful summary. And while we're giving book recommendations, I I give this one as often as I can. To me, it's the best book I've ever read and uh, it's on communication. And it's not a basic book. It's quite advanced. It's called uh, Nonviolent Communication by um, Marshall Rosenberg. That book is 10 out of 10 for me. And um, yeah, it can really transform your relationships. Okay, I'm going to... Shit, give me one second. I got to write that down so I can put it in the show notes. Who is it by? Marshall B. Rosenberg. Marshall. He's no longer with us, unfortunately. There is a YouTube clip with him as well, a workshop. It's uh, 30 years old and he's playing guitar and stuff, but it's, it's super good as well. Yeah, I, I, I love where this conversation is going because sometimes I, I feel like a lot of... I. where am I going with this? I like personal development. Um, I like being the best version of myself that I possibly can. And I think that you have to proactively work on yourself. Like the law of entropy applies everywhere, right? If you just stay stagnant, eventually like your ideals and your spirituality and and your skill set is going to just, it's going to get like cobwebs in the corner. You know, just like Mm -hmm. if you don't clean, clean your room, like the natural state of things is chaos. And I think that that's true with like your, your own personal development, right? So mm-hmm. I like the idea of being proactive about this stuff. However, I do feel sometimes, especially with the internet, that with good marketing, you know, it's very easy for people to come up with these, like they almost invent these concepts of personal development. It's like, this is my five point strategy to be like your best self, you know? And it's, it's, it's kind of just marketing. Like they just put it together and packaged it up so that they can sell Mm -hmm. it. Whereas I think personal development for me is built on pretty fundamental concepts of being a person. You know, one of them I think is just self-awareness. And the other one I do think is, a connection with some kind of higher power. And when mm-hmm. you talk about this, people get freaked out because the word God scares people. But I've learned over the years that you can call it whatever you want. The point is, as humans, we need to belong to something bigger than ourselves, right? It's like in our DNA to be, I mean, at the very core level, like part of a tribe, you know, and that can be bigger. It can be as small as just belonging to a group of a couple of people. So you mentioned spirituality earlier. Um, we mentioned like being proactive about developing ourselves. How, how does spirituality and connectivity and, and, and a higher power uh, fit into your belief system of what you teach? Right. Hmm. It's a 
big question and an interesting one. So it's it's hard because me personally, I love spirituality. I resonate with the word. I get a warm feeling in my chest. And at the same time, I'm aware that uh, Emil, 20 years old, and probably many people listening to this podcast as well, might associate the word spirituality to ghosts or priests or yeah so it's a tricky word so i don't use it so much when i teach i i try to have a lot of spiritual teachers that i feel i learn a lot from and i try to translate it into everyday english because the language is kind of alienating people a lot of the time so spirituality for me is really the things that exist but that we can't touch like our thoughts our emotions and our belief systems and i try to interact with them in a way that uh, maximizes my happiness may i give an example yeah please i mean I, I love that definition things that exist that you can't touch please give me an example i just that really that really right so one thought that I've been experimenting with a lot in thought experiments is predetermination. That is believing in destiny. And I, there's no way I can ever know or prove that there is something called destiny or that there is even a higher power or a God. I can't know it, but I can understand how will it affect the way I feel about life if I have the belief system, if I have this filter or not. And having a filter where I perceive things. So one of my motives in life is that everything is, ha- everything is here to help me. Meaning that everything that enters my reality has been put here by an intelligent source that wants me to grow and evolve and that has a plan for me. And I choose to view my reality through that filter because it puts me into an empowered state. I can't go into a victim mentality if what is in front of me, and I don't like have to like how it feels, but I can know it's there for a positive reason. And then I can extract the benefit from it. So I can extract more benefits from situation. I feel safer in my body and I have a more positive outlook on life. I think it makes me take more risk. So am I delusional? Maybe. We'll see. Like, Is there life after death? Who knows? We'll see when we get there. But I think this mindset are causing me at least to enjoy life more right now. And that is the important part. Man, I need a minute to like decompress that. So I don't spiral off on some, like (laughs) some rambling. Uh, Okay. I, I love how you chose to use the word perception of my reality, because I think that that is something that, that hangs people up a lot with the idea of, is this real? Is this not real? Um, because I, you said earlier, if I were to say this stuff to the 20 year old version of me, I would have a hard time relating. And I remember so specifically this one experience I had where, uh, I used to skateboard a lot as a kid and I was always by myself and I'd come home from school and just skateboard like alone for years. You know, like I, I really mean that I was a real loner and, uh, and there was one night in particular where I used to love the feeling after skating for a couple of hours and, you know, you kind of get this cool flow like you talked about where you're just like feeling it, you know, and things don't feel as difficult. 
and uh and that same trick that you were practicing all of a sudden you can do it twice as well in like half the amount of effort right you hit that flow state and i was just in this really cool vibe and uh, i was at this train station in my neighborhood and i was just kind of looking up at the stars thinking to myself like what's really going on here and um a lot of the same thoughts that we all have when we're 20 years old and over over the years i've come to determine that that question almost limits myself because it forces you to choose between something which is like this is really happening and this isn't really happening and it blocks mm-hmm. out all the gray spot in, in between which is just like my perception of it and you mentioned that you can have control over your perception you know call it delusional call it whatever you want but it doesn't make it you know quote less real because it's real inside my mind it's real inside my heart and uh and yeah, like I encourage you to expand upon that a little bit more because that's been a big lesson for me to gain control over the fact that like these are my emotions and my thoughts and my feelings, but like I do have utility over them and like I can steer them in a particular direction. Right. And I really enjoyed the distinction you make there. Looking up, seeing the sky and telling yourself this is going on. It's a very limiting experience compared to saying, I have no idea what's going on and being open like a blank canvas. So I really like that perspective. And I, I tried to kind of combine the two that saying, I know that I don't know. Mm. I will see if there's a life after death when I die. Until then, there's no way I can know. But I can choose what I believe in the meantime. Because regardless what is true, it doesn't matter because I'm just going to have an experience of the filters that I have. And I can choose my filters. So I can choose my illusion. But I can never know if it's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, God, I just, I want to keep expanding upon that just because belief is something that has so much power. You know, the, the value that we put on things and, and the belief that we put on things, whether it's something real that like I can hold in my hand or like getting back to that concept of something that I can't necessarily view with my senses, but I know it's there. When you said that, it reminded me of this, this guy, his name was Ben. Uh, he was talking about, um, I, I think it was just like courage or we were in a meeting, basically a, a meeting of, of guys that were just trying to do better in life. And he was talking about courage or, or discipline or like honesty or something. He's like, I can't tell you, I can't tell you what it is, but I know it when I feel it. It was that sort of thing. And that always stuck with me. And 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 when you mentioned that, it brought that experience back because there's so many things in life with success and entrepreneurship or even like emotional intelligence or relationships where I can't tell you exactly what it is about this situation but like i know it when i feel it and bring it all the way back around to this idea of of learning right like that is a skill having that self-awareness is something that like is not taught but we can all really really use to live better lives yeah for sure what do you think that self-awareness comes from man um you know, I, 
I'm, I always take a little bit more of like a scientific approach in this. I think like we evolved to sense those things with each other. It's, it's kind of like my version of a higher power. You know, there really is no difference between like you and me and, and anything else, right? Like we all come from a tiny little singularity. Like we all literally come from the same exact thing. And if you want to get even more to it, like we're all from the same star stuff, you know? And so I think somewhere in, in like a quantum physical world really. Um, and then I get really into like Stephen Hawking type stuff and, and like grand unification theory and all that shit. Um, but I think somewhere before there was such a thing as the difference between you and me as like separate entities, there was some like mm. universal point where it really all was the same thing. And so somewhere in that, I mean, I know I don't use this word anymore, but somewhere in that ether, there is like a connection point between you and I, where like I can feel something that you're emitting that I, that I don't have like language for, because language is a made up thing, right? But like my internal life force can feel it and can sense it. For sure. And uh, yeah, I like what you described it, that there's no language for it. And language can be quite limiting because then we end up censoring the sensations we have because we don't really trust them. For example, when I try to think and I'm trying to get more self-awareness, if I ask myself, how do I feel about this situation? And I wait for words. I often censor myself. But if I ask myself, how do I feel about this situation? And I get an image or an emotion, those can't be filtered in the same way. But they're more vague as well. Yeah. Man, well, this is all stuff that I really enjoy talking about. And thank you so much for kind of going on this direction with me. Um, I think this is great work, but before we wrap up, we got about 15 more minutes. I do want to make sure that we apply how this is going into great.com. I am a fan of the mission with great. I love Eric's viewpoint on, I just really admired that he was open to talk about some of the, the problems with charity work and how like people don't look at it from an entrepreneurial standpoint because you can't scale like one-on-one -on -one connection in the way that can make it very, very meaningful to like change the world. And so I am a fan of his mission. I think that what you guys are doing has real, real capacity to have like world changing effects and, uh, I'm not just saying that because you're on my podcast. Like, I, I really, really mean that. And I think 10 years from now, like, I'll look back on this podcast with you and with Eric and think like, damn, I was a part of that when it was just getting started. So speaking more specifically to people that want to apply some of these lessons, like how are you using emotional intelligence to grow the brand, to, to grow the mission? Like what specific skills do you apply to it to achieve tangible results? Right. So I would say we do it in many different ways. We both teach it in, for example, the podcast I make together with Eric. I'm the host of the Becoming Great podcast and me and Eric create. We want to teach emotional intelligence and well-being and a simplified version of spirituality because I believe, and we want to help people make money and be better entrepreneurs as well. Because I think 
a person that is really, really good at business, but is not feeling good, is probably not going to use his business for such a good thing. But people that is feeling really, really good, but is not good at entrepreneurship, my judgment of that person would be a hippie on a beach somewhere, not doing so much. But those two together, that maybe create the new kind of Eric, someone that wants to use their ambition and entrepreneurial drive to help other people. And I think great is so exciting for me because it's kind of the ultimate version of that, an organization that gives away all of its profits to the most efficient charity causes. So I hope great would be an example. And uh, we also want to be an example in our organizational structure, given that we are a people-first organization. So we put a lot of focus on uh, building a sense of freedom and trust and yeah, mostly freedom and trust within the team. But first, before we even started to build the product, which of course is a luxury to do because Eric has money from his previous company. But the organization is really rooted on that kind of foundation. Yeah, it is very important to have the conversation about combining, we call it happiness. You know, I, I tend to use the word like contentment a little bit more because I think that you can be not happy, but still like content, right? Like happiness is very fleeting. And so I think it's important to maybe use the word fulfilled, although I think that's getting kind of like I talked about before, like the personal development kind of woo-woo marketing package built around it. But we'll use the word fulfilled. So I think it I think it's so important these days to have conversations about combining fulfillment and contentment with actual like money making between when when the two of them are combined and you have money's not like some limited pot you know like wealth actually generates more wealth it's not like you're it's not a zero-sum game you know so when you unless you play poker (laughs) well yeah (laughs) or unless you're that's why that's why i quit by the way because like you had to take somebody out to win yeah yeah i i bet for sure i feel that way about uh search engine optimization a lot it's it's really a winner take all game and i love to win and stuff like that but it's not like everybody benefits like anytime that you're at number one it's not just because you did the best it's because you knock somebody else out and that yeah it can weigh on you for sure it's not uh, the only reason i quit i feel i want to clarify that but it's one of the reasons yeah but so the the point i'm making is when you combine like personal fulfillment with revenue generation i think is when you have that real capacity for good and and and, you know not just for good for like uh for better quality of life you know and and that's what i think great.com is trying to do for sure and money is so cool because it's so flexible Mm. if you wanted to go and work in the best charity in the world that would be kind of hard it would be very hard for you to do good there because you would have to compete with a lot of other good, really, really, really good employees at that organization. So the amount of good you do is only how much better are you than the person you would kick out from that organization, right? But you can go and make money in any industry and then send that money to that best organization. 
that's the power of money. And what I've, I've been doing a lot of research on charity together with Eric over the last years. And we also have a podcast now called Great.com Talks With, where we interview different charity organizations. And we have realized that there is a huge difference between the average charity and the very, very best charities. Mm. The very best ones might have a, they might be a thousand times more efficient than the average charity. So to take some time to research and pick the very best ones is a crucial step if you want to maximize your impact using donations. Yeah, I I want to stick on this a little bit more because... Eric put it really well where he said one of the best things about charity is also one of the worst things about charity and that it's it's like work that's driven from the heart and it, it reminded yeah. me you mentioned about me and my my sobriety and recovery and a lot of times when people get sober they do it through like a sponsor and a sponsee and it's a super one-on-one relationship whereas like I know what you've been through as someone that struggled with addiction so like you can relate to me and like you and I will work over the course of however many months together so that like you, just you, you're one person. And I'm not undervaluing one person, but I'm saying the addiction problem is like millions and millions and millions of people. So to actually try to practically solve that from like a one-on-one thing scaled 20 million times is super difficult. And so if you take that same mindset, and you think, how do we step away from this and use money or use leverage or scalability to make that one person be able to do the work of 20 million one-on-one conversations? Now, like yeah. you're really doing some shit that can change the culture. And so, especially when it comes to charity work, but also like entrepreneurial adventures, I actually believe that entrepreneurs, for the most part, do things because they want to have a positive impact on the world. And so like how how is that idea of scaling charity something that that you guys are actually trying to apply? Right. So we are we're kind of doing the the other extreme, which is we're trying to just scale a business. We're in the most classically seen money-driven industry there is we're in the gambling industry we are competing for money that otherwise would go to another casino that an owner of that casino would use to buy a jet or a boat and instead we are donating that money to in our case save the climate so yeah you can use any model of scalability use whatever your passion is to make as much money as you can and then donate just a part of that to a top-ranked shared organization. So for me, when I work with Great, I have a pretty ordinary salary and I donate 10% of that to charity. And it's not that much money, but over my lifetime, I will have saved many, many lives of real people that otherwise wouldn't have had a chance to live or if it's animals, I'm interested, the same effect there. Hundreds, thousands of animals. So anyone can have a real big effect with just just a regular job. Yeah, and now we're talking about the power of like compounding, right? When you actually do yeah. the math, it's so crazy to think about what happens if you stack 10 bucks on top of each other over the course of time with positive interest on it. It doesn't have to be a lot of interest. It just has to be 
time. Um, I mean, what was it that Einstein said? Like the two biggest forces are, I can't remember exactly what it was, but like nuclear power and compounding interest or, or some shit like that. Right. Yeah. What um, makes you curious about, about great when you spoke to Eric? I'm curious what stood out. It's, it's that idea. Um, when I, I grew up in a very blue collar family and, uh, when I got sober, I met my best friend and my business partner. His name is Brian. And there's, uh, there's benefits of growing up in like a blue collar family for sure. But one of the problems in that is that I was never educated on like what money is. I really saw it as like a zero sum game. Like you talked about, like you trade your time for money and then however much you have is how much you have. And Brian, he grew up in just a different dynamic. Like his, his family uh, has a lot of property in Lower East Side Manhattan. And, and he taught me over the years about like how to use money as leverage. It's not just something where it's like, I trade one hour of time for this much. It's like a tool that you can apply, which can create things on its own. And so over the years of really just being fascinated with this and and seeing that there really is enough in the world for everybody. You know, it's not like a finite resource type thing. It's, 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 about, it's about systems of, of scale. And when, when I see it that way, and with my own experience with addiction, of course, like is where I get my, my heart for service because service work is what gave me that connection that we talked about before. You know, like doing something the irony of like doing something for other people, not for myself actually has a huge benefit for myself as well, you know? And so, and so just learning about that and how happy that made me and how much that stopped that spinning in my brain of like, what is all this for? And, and just the, uh, just the idea, I think about it so much, just the idea that like all of this suffering, all the homeless people that I drive by in Nashville all the time, all of the suffering in the world, like it is so unnecessary. Like it's not necessary. Like we really don't have to do it. We can actually solve these problems pretty quickly. It's just a change in mindset. It's just a change in understanding like how money behaves and what money actually does. And so when I talked to Eric, I was like, oh, finally, like somebody is, is seeing this shit the same way that I see it. And, uh, and to me, like I, I continuously remain almost delusionally optimistic about the world because I think the power of money over time always gets what it wants, you know? And so I think like, I think if you look at the world now with all the problems, it's a lot better than it was 50 years ago. And in another oh, 50 yeah. years, you know, oh, it'll, yeah. it'll continue to get better. Oh yeah. And it's the best kind of capitalism, right? You take what you need and then the rest gets donated to where it's needed the most and money has get reinvested in the system. Yeah. I just imagine if, I mean, if everybody had a place to live and an education, there would be, Yeah. 7 billion people that are capable of working on their big problems, more people that are researching cancer, more people that can do positive contribution. It's a very selfish uh, reason for contributing, but it's also true. Like the more of us get empowered, the better it's going to be for everyone. Yeah. Um, 
I, I'm just excited by it. I can't tell you exactly what it is. You know, I'm just, I'm really excited about the, the work that you guys are doing. I, I feel like charity needs that mentality put to it because like you said, there's 7 billion problems in the world and it's tough to solve it one by one. I think charity needs to become cool. One thing that really bothers me, it's that it's so normal for people to post a picture of their brand new car on Instagram. But it's weird to post a picture of a donation you made. Why? Why isn't charity? Like charity should be cooler. They should be, instead of the Forbes richest people, it should be the Forbes most generous people. Damn, I've never thought of it that way. Okay, so let's, let's end on this. Like, how do we do that? How do we change that, that mentality? Like, what do we have to do to make call it charity, call it giving, call it altruism. Like, how do we make that cool? I wish I had a good answer to that. Like, we're kind of trying by making uh, donations public, but I feel that cringe feeling. Like, I feel a cringe feeling to go public on my Facebook saying that I donated 10% of my salary because it feels like I'm doing it to brag. But I... (laughs) I guess I, I want to be willing to do that anyway to kind of change the, yes, change the culture. I think if a certain threshold of people is doing it, then it's going to become more normal. And I hope it creates a trend where, yeah, it's cooler to be generous than it is to have a lot of stuff, for example. It's nothing wrong with the stuff, but being generous should be really cool. Damn. Yeah. Well. I'm going to do my part. You know, I hope that you and I can keep in touch with this. I'm a fan of what you guys are doing. Um, I'm a fan of the work that you guys are doing, even just as much as I'm a fan of like the mission. Uh, you got Becoming Great Podcast. You got the other podcast. Um, it, it, the, the title slipped by me. What was it called again? Great.com Talks With. And yeah, we're going to release com. daily episodes interviewing charity organizations. Amazing. Okay. Uh, I'm going to link all of that in the show notes of the post. Um, man, thank you so much for your time. It was like really, really great talking to you. I'm, I'm really glad that we got to do this and, and I hope we get to do it again. I had fun. We touched on many of uh, my favorite uh, topics. So I really enjoyed this. Thank you for having me. You're, you're very welcome. Hey guys, it's me. It's Tim. One last time before we wrap up, just wanted to say thank you for tuning into the podcast please subscribe on iTunes. Please leave me an honest rating. Please follow me on Spotify. It's the best thing you can do to support the show. If you want to find out more, go to timstods.com. Feel free to fill out the contact form to reach out to me personally. I always respond. I appreciate you guys so much. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.